It's my girl. Constance Hall, one of the most talked about bloggers in the country. Look out! Opinionated, raw, thought-provoking, and never shy to have an opinion. Annalise is her best friend. The yin to her yang. The gale to her Oprah. She's the chic one. Just ask her. A show for queens, by queens. No topic is too taboo. A shame-free, judge-free space. Oversharing, commiserating, and celebrating. This is the Queen Sesh with Constance Hall and Annalise. Come on, girl! You're listening to the Queen Sesh with Constance Hall and Annalise. And to set the scene, my best mate, Constance Hall, you might have heard of her, she just welcomed her seventh child into the world, Raja, and he's in the studio with us this evening. How's it been going, mate? Seven kids. Well, it's he's a dream. I must get that out of the way. He's a completely, like, probably the best baby I've ever had. No colic, no reflux, no, like, it's luck of the draw with babies as far as I'm concerned. And um, Raja is heaven. He's just, yeah, he's a little time waster. All he does is coo and, you know, all the things that babies, you know, ideally do that they never really do, he does. So I got really lucky and um, I think he reflects, like, all the love that he gets from all of my kids. He really like he really ex- expels that, so it's awesome. Um, we've taken him to Kenya, we've taken him to Sydney, to Melbourne, and rec- most recently to Bali. And he travels beautifully. Such and a chic little global jet setter. It's really what is chic. he? Three months now. Yeah, but he won't remember any of it, which is obviously he won't remember. It. Uh, <laughs> Do you, you remember think? that term, babe? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's still free to travel with. Hence, he gets taken with us, and the other kids don't. <laughs> mm. So, I got an interesting text from you while you were in Bali recently, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Let's just I had say, an interesting experience mm, in Bali. I when usually when I go to Bali, I just like do the bars and the restaurants and all that sort of stuff. But this time, I brought my brother with me, and so I had to do a couple of touristy things with him while I had some work on there. And I, on one of the days, my brother convinced me to go to a waterfall. Which I didn't really want to do, but I was like, okay, cool, I'll do it. You know how waterfalls, you always have to climb down like 5,000 stairs Mm. and then go back up them. And your fitness has never been your strong suit. No, not really. Actually, in saying that, I've gotten really fit, but that's another break. (laughs) (laughs) So I said to my beautiful husband, Denim, you know, we're going to a waterfall and Denim's all like, yeah, once you've seen one, you've seen them all, I'm waiting in the car. And so I said to him, if you're waiting in the car, I'm not bringing the baby down to the waterfall, no way. We're in the literal middle of the forest in Bali. I go down to the waterfall. Turns out to be one of the most beautiful waterfalls I've ever seen in my life. It was an amazing experience, but I was exhausted. You know, it was an hour climbing stairs. Get back up. I knew my son Raja would be crying his head off looking for me because I'd been gone for like an hour and a half. And so I'm riding, some dude's riding me on the motorbike to get, you know, back to where the car is. And I saw Denim standing there, my husband. I said to the guy, that's my husband. <laughs> and he goes, oh, okay, cool. And I said, but my baby's not with him. And he goes, oh, your baby's there. There's a baby there. There's a white baby there. So then he pulls me up and there's my husband. He's gotten out of the car. He's hanging out with some villagers in like one of those joggler things. And there's little old woman is there and she goes, oh, your baby. And I said, yeah, yeah, he's mine. And she goes, he's been breastfeeding my daughter, <laughs> of my daughter. And I was like, excuse me? And I look over and this young, like, 22-year-old villager has, like, her boob in my son's mouth and he is, like, cheating on me to, like, mass proportions. And Denzi's all, like, smiling, like, yeah, 
babe, Raj is breastfeeding of her. And I was like, is the whole world lost their plot here? And I grabbed my baby and the villager woman looked at me all proud of herself and, you know, now we're connected as women. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> it was not okay. And I still, like, it took me two days to even look at Raja in the eyes because he's, you know, he's a massive traitor. He's the biggest turncoat on earth. And Denim, me and Denim sat in the car in silence. I actually had tears in my eyes. I was so emotional over the whole thing. <laughs> Only now can I look back and laugh. I just, I can't believe that you have found a husband that is more laid back and easy. Oh. Oh, I know. So I, I, first thing I did was text one of my girlfriends and she goes, when your husband realises that his free-spirited wife ain't so free-spirited after all. <laughs> this is the Queen Sesh. Constance Hall is very excited because we have human rights activist, vocal feminist, he's the CEO and founder of the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, Con Karapana Yotidis. Welcome to the Queen Sesh. Hi, Con. Hi, how are you going? Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for the support and for wanting to have me on. Well, no, you're a, a bit of a hero to us. So. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, Con, oh, I've... That's amazing, thank you. Con, I've known Constance for 30 years and it's very rare that she gets rattled by anything, but <laughs> I've never seen her look so nervous when we're about to judge her. Oh, that would be ridiculous. How could You're she be nervous? Oh, she's a celebrity. I'm just like some degrade guy. Like, I wouldn't be worried about that. No, your word is law in our household, Con. Me and my sister have a... We have a saying, what would Con do? <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. It's oh, such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. Thank you. So, Con, what inspired you to create the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre? I think what inspired me to create the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre was, first of all, my family struggles with racism and discrimination and hardship, my grandparents as refugees, my own growing up experiencing racism and bullying. I think at the heart of it for me was growing up, knowing what it's like not to belong and not feel wanted and what it's like to be on the outside. And in refugees, I see myself. I see people that have you know, crossed sea and land in search of freedom who love their families like my parents did when they came as migrants here. And I know I've just won the lottery of time and place and that it could so easily be me. And so what inspired me was seeing people in this great country of ours who have got everything at stake going hungry and needing someone to help them and, and going, something has to be done and knowing that I could do something. So... The agency began just by providing food to people, and that's how it started. People were hungry, and I had to do something to help. And me and my students set up the ACC as a as a tape project in eight weeks, and that's how it all began. Wow. We don't hear much about refugees in the mainstream news, not enough anyway. Tell the yeah. Queens, like, what, what is the current status? What sort of crisis are we facing? I think what, what breaks my heart at the moment is we're at the ACC working with people from all across the world and none of these people want to be here. No one wants to leave their home, leave their family, leave their country. And they've come because they're fleeing for their very lives. And what's heartbreaking right now is there's 107 children that we've been locking up for five years on Nauru who are refugees. And these kids are so unwell that some of them have become catatonic. There are at least two dozen that have stopped eating walking and talking. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, some are in an actual catatonic state. We're having to go to court. At a time where you're watching Peter Dutton intervene to give uh, visas to French au pairs, mm. we're having to go to court mm. to force him to bring six-month-old and two-year-old babies that are going to die. We've got, we've got 
70 kids on our wait list that we're trying to get off at the moment who are all critically at risk of dying on Nauru. On top of that, we have thousands of people we're working with in the community who have been waiting six years just for a decision on whether they will be accepted as a refugee. And thousands of them who are now facing being cut off all their income support. And I mean... Um, people seeing asylum only get 89% of new start, but they're not getting the good life. They've got bugger all. And they're, they're, Peter Dunn's about to cut pregnant women, whole families, single people of any income. So they've waited six years and now they're going to be forced onto the streets. And then on top of that, you've got an environment that is trying to encourage us to be afraid. So you've got from Scott Morrison, who's the original architect of all these, these awful policies, to Peter Dutton that are telling us, be afraid of refugees, be afraid of young you know, um, Sudanese Australians that are here, be afraid of Muslims. And so there's a bigger thing that we should be worried about, which is uh, we're being led by morally bankrupt leaders who are telling us to hate and be afraid when good leaders are meant to bring us together, are meant to help us celebrate that we're this extraordinary Indigenous and multicultural country and we're this beautiful and special place. And yet, instead of, instead of them saying, how do we build along the table to help people, we're talking about how do we literally build a higher wall or tougher borders. And so mm. we're being encouraged not to care. We're being encouraged to be afraid. We're being encouraged to be mean and selfish. And the human cost of that are people dying and our families being torn apart and people being left to perish. And we are better than this. And yeah. people that you know are seeking our protection deserve our kindness and compassion, not cruelty and apathy and more cruelty. Um, so Peter Dutton was almost our Prime Minister recently yeah. and um, my sister actually messaged you about it and you said something really profound to her that, you know, it could be the wake-up call that Australia needed to yeah. realise that there is this sort of rise in the right wing and the far right and I find that dealing working on the internet, sometimes I feel a little bit like overwhelmed by the um, passive racism in Australia and, you know, so many people have that fear factor and they are saying we, we can't fit them in or they're all terrorists and sometimes I wonder do you think that um that there's like no hope for these racist people like can you change those like really deep-seated beliefs that people that um these asylum seekers are dangerous look it's a great question like a lot I reckon what our research has shown is about a quarter of Australians are in fact racist and they're not going to shift about a quarter quarter. yeah about a quarter are really on board and 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 are supportive and about and about one in two um, are actually open to being persuaded. Okay. But, uh, but are actually looking at this issue and going, we've been told we have to be cruel to save lives, which is a total lie. But, like, how do you make a country safer by torturing children? You don't. You actually just debase our very values and our empathy and our kindness as a nation. But yeah. one in two are open to it. They just don't know what the alternative is. And so a lot of our work, like one of the most simple things I do whenever I, I do a talk somewhere, I say to people, unless you're Indigenous to this land, I go, stand up if you, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, or your great-great-grandparents cross your land in search of a better life and came to this country. The whole room stands. And I go, now, when they came here, what did people say to them? And they all say the same thing. They told them they were going to bring crime and disease. They would never fit in. They would never integrate what happened to the Greeks. They used to be spat on and beaten in the streets in the 50s. Yeah. Happened to the Jews. Happened to the Irish, the Polish, the Vietnamese. And so I say, and what, have these, what did your ancestors give to this country? Did they make this country greater and more prosperous and more successful and more beautiful and magical? It's like, yes, they did. And I go, so their story is the story of refugees today. And this is the story that we're being disconnected from, which is 
We're an indigenous nation, the oldest on, on earth, and we're a multicultural one. And how we talk about refugees now is how they once talked about our dads or our granddads or our great-grandfathers. And yet, look at the contribution and look what makes this country so great. And that's what we need to go back to, which is that most Australians are decent. Most Australians are kind and compassionate, but we're not being led that way. If you prey on the worst in people, surprise, surprise, you get the worst out of people. But if you inspire the best in people, a quick story, two months ago, we were running out of food and blankets and coats. And so I went out onto Twitter and Facebook and said, I'm opening up the garage for a Sunday for five hours. Can people please bring food and, and, and blankets? 2,000 people turned up in five hours from all across Victoria. I mean, people drove hours to get wow. here. I'm talking 2,000 people, $150,000 worth of food. I had people in tears because they were overwhelmed by seeing thousands of people coming together to do good. And that's a story also that no one talks about. We have 1,300 people who volunteer here every week from 18 to 85, from grandmas to granddads. We have six-year-olds, seven-year-olds doing food drives, giving up birthday presents so they can give food to refugees. This is the story we're not seeing. The grandmothers knitting the winter blankets and the beanies and the scarves for the babies, the people growing veggies and bringing them in just to give to refugees. I see a different Australia, a kind, compassionate and loving one. And that's just the one that no one tells us about and shows us. And so I think most people are good and all they need is to be led and told, aren't we a greater nation we're a kinder and compassionate one? No one's asking us to take everyone in, but we could take our fair share. And when they're here, we could help them settle, work, integrate, contribute and be safe. You know, a great nation doesn't harm the vulnerable, it protects them. A great nation doesn't turn its back on those fleeing protection, it welcomes them and it, and it does its best to give them the chance to give back and to be safe. That's what we used to do and used to be proud of doing. And now we've lost our way, not because the numbers that are coming we can't manage or because these people don't want to contribute or don't share our values. We've lost our way because there's political votes in making us afraid, in making us bigots, and in making us not care about others in need. And it's not just happening for refugees. It's happening with Indigenous people, attacks on, on trans youth. It's happening on the fact we won't act on the epidemic of male violence against women, the fact we, we won't take hundreds of thousands of Australians that are in poverty out of poverty by raising the, the rate on Newstart. Like, this is a theme we won't act on climate change. It's not just refugees are going after. This is a government that mm. rules for the rich, the old, and the white, and the male. And yep. everyone else, we're an afterthought. And that's why people should understand that and see that. So, how, so, how when, can we, so when are you going to run for PM? <laughs> <laughs> Where do we sign? <laughs> it's not hashtag, not hashtag con Cara. It would, it would crush me. You would, and there's hope. And, and the message I want to give to people, and, you, know, and, you know, what I talked a lot about in my, in my book was about that, that we're powerful and that all of us are beautiful and all of us are special and, and, and our natural instinct is to love and to be compassionate. And you know, the message of, of love ourselves, be compassionate to ourselves and use our voice and, and use the best of us. That is, people often say to me, oh, but I'm not an expert on this issue and I don't know the policy. I'm like, everything you need is inside you now, which is a big beating heart and an open and critical mind. And that's all you need to change the world. And I say to people, if it's not refugees, whatever issue makes your heart beat faster that you care about, just start. Start anywhere. Volunteer what you can. Share whatever talents you have. Give whatever you can. But give. But care. But be engaged with your community. But speak out. Talk to your local member. Volunteer for your local charity. Give what you can. Get your mates together to do a food drive. Whatever it is, but do something. And suddenly that despair suddenly shifts to hope because 
Despair is not a strategy. And I keep saying to people, how do we take this poison and make medicine out of it? How do we do good? How do we take this darkness and create beauty out of it? And we can and we do. I've been doing that for 17 years here. Thousands of people's lives have been saved simply by people coming together without a single dollar from the federal government and just giving a damn. That's the spirit. That's the spirit of our nation at its best. Con with a K, thank you so much for sharing for your me. vision and thank it's so you. inspiring and uplifted. Uh, also, I urge people to <laughs> grab a copy of your book, The Power of Hope. Thank Con you. with a K. Thanks for having me. Both amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Con. You can follow Con on Facebook. Yes, uh, you we can follow we'll, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre on Facebook as well. Yes, we'll be sharing a link on the Queen Sesh Facebook. Thanks so much. This is the Queen Sesh. And a week ago was Father's Day and I was having a little scroll through the old book and I saw a lot of, you know, really gushy posts for fathers and husbands, yes. et cetera, et cetera, as you do see on Fathers and Mother's Days. And I then came across a post from a child, a man who when he was a child, his father decided to alienate him and move on to have another family. Now, I thought this was a really interesting, vulnerable post. He um, wrote about feeling as if he didn't really deserve to celebrate Father's Day because he didn't have a father, much less a father, a loving um, live-in father. His father had another family. And so I was reading that and I was reading the comments and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I just thought, you know, we're to- it's so trendy to talk about parental alienation these days. Mm, where, no one, one, where one parent refuses the other parent visitation and access. Exactly, and almost brainwashes the child into not wanting that parent in the life. But no one really talks about something that is just as common mm, and that is chosen. a parent. They choose to self-alienate. Yeah, from a and child. I, I see it happening with a lot of my friends. They have a child to somebody, and one of the parents doesn't have anything to do with the kid, and it actually has nothing to do with the other parent. That pe- that person has personally decided that they don't want to parent the kid, and it's it's, it's troubling, isn't it? Because it goes yeah. against your natural instinct. That you know, well, primal let, instinct. Let's speak, let's speak frankly, at risk of being you know accused of being an anti anti you know a bloody man-hater, it is predominantly men that do it. Mm. Uh, it is more common for a woman who's biologically connected stronger but after having the baby to stay connected. And, in you know, just in my group of friends, I could name three where the man has chosen and the woman has, you know, it's hard for them to explain to the kid, your dad does love you, he's just not prepared, not, you know, able to be a father right now, whatever it is. And, um, and yes, so then I, sh- I went on and I shared this post on my public page because I wanted to hear from more people that had been alienated or had been in a family where one of the parents chose to leave. And, you know, to add to what I was saying about it permanently being the man is that I don't know any women personally who have done it. I know it happens. I know it's out there. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But personally, I do not know a single woman who has abandoned her kids and, and moved on. Well, so, let's let's see if we can find someone who, who has maybe been absolutely. alienated from their mother, their mother's chosen to alienate them. Uh, were you alienated by your mother? Call 13 10 60. Let's hear from some Queens next. It's the Queen Sesh. This is the Queen Sesh. And before the break, Annalise, we were talking about child alienation nation when a parent chooses not to see their child and how that the, the effects that then has on the child growing up. Yeah, so we put it out on 131060 and we've got Mel from New South Wales. Tell us your story, Mel. I've always sort of just been me and my mum growing up because when I was younger, my 
my dad and mum split up and when he left, he went and looked after two other kids that were not his. Yeah, I kind of just had me and mum for a really, really long time. Bit, bit hard, but and it, and it did really, really hurt. But I got really lucky and my stepdad came into my life 15 years ago now and he's a wonderful man. As an adult, Mel, do you know why now your dad chose to not parent you and parent other kids? I, I couldn't say why. Uh, we're not particularly close. I mean, he hasn't really spoken to me in sort of nearly five years now. Um, but I know he had a lot of childhood trauma himself. I think it was just sort of something that he never faced up to. He's never really spoken to me much about why he left. I just thought that he did leave and was a dad to somebody else. And on 131060, we're talking child alienation when a parent chooses to lose contact with a child. And we've got Danielle from Queensland. Tell us about your experience. Uh, hi. Well, when I was younger, my mother was never very affectionate or, or very loving. She was an alcoholic. As I became a teenager, um, I guess I rebelled a little bit. Just basically didn't necessarily do what she asked when she asked. And um, over time, eventually, she just got to the point where she's like, enough. I don't want to deal with you anymore. I think I was 14 when she asked me to leave. Very shortly thereafter, moved a thousand miles away and uh, moved to Mackay. So I didn't have any other family. She never kept in touch with any of our family. So I, I literally had to sleep on the streets and make my own way. Oh, I'm so sorry. Danielle. And uh, do you have contact with your mum now? We did actually get back in touch. Um, I fell pregnant um, when I was young and we got back in touch and we kind of, you know, uh, made amends. She never actually apologised. I just forgave her, I, I guess, for what I did. I really felt like, I, you know, I wanted a mother in my um, life. Yeah, yeah. For a little while, we were we were good. We actually, I was married. Um, we bought a house with her at the time. As sometimes happened, my husband and I decided to, to separate. She disagreed with, with my decision, so she basically just entirely cut me out and then moved to another state and invited him down and decided to have a relations with my husband at the time. He's now my ex-husband. So your As in, your she slept with him? Your mum slept with your husband? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's next-level bad parenting. Yeah. Just. Just a little, but yeah, so it's been about 20 years since I've had any contact with her at all. Are you, so you uh, cut ties for good after that? Um, yeah, I, look, it's one of those things that, you know, I think you always crave for that relationship that you wish yeah. you could have had, but yeah. you get to a point where you realise it doesn't matter how much you want it, you can't change the person that they are. So, you know, I figure there's no point in, in having regrets or wishing for something that I know I can't have because it's not going to make me... It's not going to make my future any better. So, you know, I had to let go of that. Whoa. Okay. Con, that's just opened up another can of worms, hasn't it? (laughs) Yes. That was intense. Now I'm worried about my mum. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Robinson. Literally, that's her her last name. Look, that's... Is she the reason for my failed relationships? (laughs) (laughs) I I reckon we should try this for next week. On our Facebook page, The Queen Sesh, let us know, have you or has... Have you know anyone whose parent has slept with your partner?
Let's let's explore that next week on the Queen Session. <laughs> You're so creepy. <laughs> I know I live for this, this, and this is how we come up with our content. <laughs> this is the Queen Sesh. We do like to finish the show on Queen Vice, which is advice from queens to queens about queens. It's just a really like easy chat, basically, and um, usually it is relationship or child orientated. Mm, and this one is your fave topic, which is relationships. Oh yeah, I love the juice on relationships. Mm. So this queen messaged us on our Facebook page, The Queen Says. She said, my partner and I are at a stalemate. Our connection has fallen flat. We feel like ships in the night and the consideration in the relationship feels like it's disappearing. What's an easy way to inject reconnectedness? Now, before we go to the professional advice that we've got for this, I just Mm. want to say one thing. Do not beat yourself up over this because it is so hard to stay connected. I'm in a fairly new relationship and we need to take weekends away, breaks all the time just to remind ourselves how much we love each other because life is so tough and it is so tough to get through, you know, this relentless groundhog day and still care about the person that you're doing it with. It's so easy to just blame them for everything. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a very relatable one. But it made us think about that advice that we got when we recorded our podcast series, The Queen Sesh Overshare, with Podcast One. Dr. Happy, he's a clinical psychologist, and he gave us this really quick 10-minute tip that you can easily do with your partner. Have a listen. So you get the two people, and let's just say husband and wife in this particular situation, to write down let's just say a list of five to ten things that they would like the other person to do to do more of. So they have to be positively framed behaviour. It's not about stop doing this and stop doing that, whatever. What would I like you to do more of that would then improve our relationship? So I write it down, then you write it down. And we don't actually talk to each other at this stage. We don't show each other lists at this stage. So we're both developing our list of five to ten positive behaviours. Then we swap the lists. And isn't that easy, Con? Because I can just write down, say, five to ten things, give it to my husband, and he does the same. So you're each getting what you need more of. But your husband does love a list. He does love a list. And I don't love a list. And if my husband came to me with a list, (laughs) I can tell you there'd be only one thing on his list because I do enough as it is. All right, so we're saying if you don't have if you if you don't love lists and your husband doesn't love a list like mine, if they're more like you guys who are a bit more free-spirited, maybe make it more spontaneous. But still, yeah. I like that where you're just thinking and being considerate. It's about consideration, isn't it? It's about both of you acknowledging that the relationship won't flow into a good place when you have children and you both work or one of you even works, it won't flow naturally into a good place. You constantly need to pull it back into that good place. And that's what the list is. I think it's pulling it back, reminding each other, this is what you could do for me. This is what I could do for you. Or, you know, in in mine and Denim's case, grabbing a six pack and going down to the beach. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Queen Sesh. Now, when I was in Kenya earlier this year, I I wasn't in very much mobile range, but whenever I came back into mobile range, I was just getting message after message after message about this new campaign. And it was a Bonds campaign and it was called, is it Welcome to the Queendom? Something yes, like that. And the Queen they, Range. Yeah, and they called some undies queens and the um, women and some of the graphics, everyone was saying looked a lot like me. Yes. And, no, the, they didn't say the women looked like me. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's the stop Bonds me right models. Yeah. But it was very earthy and it was in the bush and they had real 
plus-size women and it was all about and, and empowerment. Flower crowns. Yes, the flower crowns. Yes. yes. So there was, I, I got it, you know, a few of my um, queens had actually made little collages of pictures of the campaign next to pictures that I've done of my clothes and my um, uh, my logo and they've gone, come on, this is like, you know, so much like you and blah, 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 blah. So I just wrote, I, I'm not saying they stole my anything. They, the word queen is for everybody and I would never claim any rights or ownership over it all. But I thought to myself, I've just come back from Africa where I support a charity that has lots of children in need and everything that I sell supports that charity. So I was being a bit cheeky and thinking this could be a good opportunity for me to A, address it and B, drum up some support. Imagine getting a client like mm. Bonds onto Rafiki, my charity. So I did wrote a post and I was like, hey, you know, Bonds, I, was be- I thought I was being really cute. Yeah, you're basically like, saying I thought you'd ask me to model for you, babes. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> you completely forgot to ask me to model in the I would have been perfect in the Queen campaign. Yes, a perfect fit. Exactly, but if you don't want to use me, that's fine. Maybe you could, you know, like support this beautiful charity, which is what my Queen, the label, my label, mm. supports and I just put it out there as a tongue-in-cheek, funny, cute, hey, why not? Why not suggest it? Well... Well, the crowd <laughs> went wild. My Google alerts for Constance Hall was bing, 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 bing. It's crazy because I don't have Google alerts for myself. So yeah, that's I, I do that for you. <laughs> so yeah, everybody started like attacking me and going, um, saying you don't own the word queen, and you know, like, oh my god, she thinks she can be a model, an underwear model. That's disgusting. And I was like, oh, far out. The internet does not know how to take. A joke at all. But no, what made things don't. worse was the Bonds came back with a really bitchy response. They did. And I've got it here. Hello, Queen Constance. Thanks for reaching out. And it's quite long, but my favourite bit is we've loved seeing women all across the world championing the Queen movement, including Queen Bee herself, as in Beyonce. To this we say the more <laughs> the merrier. We'd also like to take a moment to celebrate women, blah, 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 in this campaign, in their artistry, blah, blah, blah. And these women all share the same love and passion for the queendom. Let's be stronger together. What do you think? Love, bonds, kiss. But do you know what? I think the best response that you had, which not many queens would know about, something that is in development that I have seen samples of, let us know. How are you getting back? The only way you know how. The <laughs> only way I know how to get back at people is to rise higher and succeed. And now I'm building an undie empire. Yes. And I will be bigger than Bonds. Yes. And my underwear, which will be called Queen the Label, which will fall into Queen the Label, <laughs> and welcome to the Queendom. <laughs> this is the Queen Sesh.